Let's go to God's word as we're in week number five in a series called The End Times, How the Story of Redemption Ends. If you're new with us, you'll find a sermon note sheet inside your bulletin that will help you better follow along. In this series, what we're doing is we're studying the six major events that the Bible says will take place in the end times surrounding the second coming of Christ. Now, let me once again remind you what they are as we've done every week in this series so far, in chronological order, they are the rapture, the tribulation, the second coming, the millennium, the great white throne judgment, and the new heaven and new earth. Now, we've already talked about the rapture and the tribulation, and so today we're going to talk about the second coming. What's going to happen when Jesus comes back again? I think most of us are familiar with the details surrounding Jesus's first coming. We know the part about how the angel Gabriel went and announced to Mary that she would be with child through the Holy Spirit. We know how Mary and Joseph had to travel to the little town of Bethlehem because of the Roman census and how when they got there, there was no room for them at the end. And so Jesus ended up being born among the animals and he was laid in a manger. We know the part about God Uh, inviting the lowly shepherds to come and see the newborn Messiah. We know the part about how God uses star to lead the Magi to come worship Jesus. And when they arrived, if you remember, they worshiped him by giving him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so, you know, every year we we celebrate Christmas. Every year we get our manger scenes out and, and, and we know all the details of his first coming. But I think the truth be told, we're not as familiar with the details of Jesus's second coming. As I've already told you in this series, believe it or not, the Bible has way more to say about Jesus's second coming than it actually does his first coming. And in Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 through 31, Jesus himself tells us how it's all going to go down. So let's go ahead and read what Jesus has to say about his second coming. Jesus says this, Matthew 24, verse 29. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the son of man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. And so with these three verses, Jesus finishes answering the question that the disciples had asked him at the beginning of Matthew chapter 24. Okay, remember what that was. We, we studied, we, we talked about it the last two weeks. What was that question? It was basically this. What will be the sign that you're about to set up your earthly kingdom? That's what the disciples want to know. They're like, Jesus, we've been waiting and waiting. We've been following you for three and a half years. You're yet to set up, set up your earthly kingdom where you're going to rule and reign forever. You're going to bring everlasting peace to the world. Just like it said in the Old Testament prophecies, when are you going to do that? That's what they want to know. And in response to their question, Jesus went on to describe many signs that would precede him setting up his earthly kingdom. And here's what I want you to understand right up front this morning. None of what Jesus said to these disciples of his would have been a huge surprise to them. 
You say, well, why wouldn't it have been surprising to them? Well, because they, know, they knew what the Old Testament prophecy said would happen when the Messiah came to set up his earthly kingdom. It, it's what the disciples, being devout Jewish men, would have been expecting. You see, their, their problem was they had yet to understand there would be a second coming. And, and we, we know they wouldn't understand that until after Jesus' death and resurrection. But now here in this moment in Matthew 24... What Jesus says about his second coming here, very familiar to them. And it's not as familiar to us because we just don't know the Old Testament like they did. And so what we're going to do is we're going to further break down what Jesus has to say here this morning about his second coming. And, And my goal as we work through this is to help you see it with the same understanding and richness that the disciples did when Jesus was explaining this to them. And here's the thing. We have something the disciples didn't have when Jesus said this. Anybody know what it is? We got the New Testament scriptures now to add to it. All they had is the Old Testament scriptures. And so what we're going to see is we're going to see how the Old Testament prophecies and the New Testament prophecies fit together in absolute perfect harmony with what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 24 about his second coming. And so just like we've done in the last few weeks when we were talking about the rapture and we were talking about the tribulation, we've been going from the Old Testament to the New Testament back to Matthew 24, same type of pattern this morning as we learn what Jesus has to say about his second coming. Now, as we break down what he has to say, I want to draw your attention this morning to six unique aspects of his second coming. Aspect number one, I want you to notice that Jesus mentions the sequence of events. First thing Jesus mentions about a second coming is the sequence of events. Look at it. Jesus says in verse 29. So remember, the question is, when is the second coming going to happen? Well, Jesus tells us, look at this. Immediately after the distress of those days. That's when Jesus is going to come back again. You say, well, what days of distress is Jesus talking about? The seven-year tribulation that he just got done describing for us in verses 4 through 28. And we spent the past two weeks studying it. In fact, when you see the word distress there in the, in the English version translation we're using this morning, the NIV, uh, it's, the, it's translated distress. But you can, in other versions of the uh, Bible, you'll see it translated as tribulation, that word distress. That's where we get the word tribulation. So you can literally read this immediately after the tribulation of those days. So here's what Jesus is saying. Think about everything we've talked about in the last two weeks here in Matthew 24. Jesus is saying, when you see many come in my name all over the world claiming to be me. When you see of wars and rumors of wars exploding all over the world. When you see great earthquakes and famines and pestilences happening on a worldwide scale. When you see great and fearful signs all of a sudden along with this stuff taking place in the heavens. When you see the gospel being preached in such a way as the whole world can hear it. And when you see the abomination that causes desolation, where it should not belong, you say, what's that? We talked about it last week. When the Antichrist sets himself up in the Jewish temple and declares himself to be God, it's going to unleash persecution on the Jewish people like the world has never seen. And Jesus says, when you see that, let the reader understand. Okay? When you see all these things happen, 
you can know the time for me to set up my earthly kingdom is about to happen. That's the point that Jesus is making. I want you to look at the very first words of verse, of verse or very first word of verse 29. What does Jesus say? What is that word? Immediately. Immediately. You see that? It's the Greek word euthaos, and it means at once. It means directly. It means right away. So immediately after the seven-year tribulation, okay, right away. Okay, so understand, there's not going to be a gap of time. It's not like you're going to have the seven-year tribulation, and then there's going to be thousands of years. It's, it's immediately after the seven-year tribulation. Everybody got that? Okay. And Jesus gave them a simple parable further down in here in Matthew chapter 24 to drive this point home. Look at it with me for a moment. Matthew 24, verse 32, Jesus says, now learn the lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Now, that's true of any tree, right? We know that. Okay, we come out of winter, the buds on the trees start coming. What do we know? We're in spring and what's coming next? Summer, that's the next thing. That's the next thing in the sequence of the, of the cycles. And so that's what Jesus is, that's the idea of the parable. And he, he interprets here, watch this. Even so, when you see all these things, all the things that he just got done describing that we've studied in the last two weeks, you will know that it is near right at the door. I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. And so what generation is going to be alive? The one that's alive at the second coming of Christ, the, the generation that sees all these signs happen. That's the point. Immediately after the seven tribulation is when the second coming is going to happen. Now, there's a second aspect of the second coming that Jesus mentions. Let's call this the scene in the heavens. The scene in the heavens. Jesus goes on to say here, the sun, watch this, will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Let me tell you what Jesus is saying here. The lights are going to go out right before he comes back again. Everything is going to go pitch black. The sun is going to go out. The moon is going to go out. The stars are going to go out. Say, you say, I don't understand. Here's the deal. God is going to flip the white light switch somehow. He's going to turn off the lights right before Jesus makes his grand entrance into this world. How many have ever been to the theater and, or, or to the movie theater? And what happens? You're sitting there and the, and the lights are on. And right before the show starts, what happens? Everything goes black and then pop, you know, everything just the, the, the production now pops and the light comes forward. That's exactly how it's going to be at Jesus's second coming. And I, w- I want to once again tell you, none of, none of this would have been new information to the disciples of Jesus because they know their Old Testament in a way that you and I don't understand it. Let me take you to back to some of the prophecies. Isaiah chapter 13 It says this in verse 9, see the day of the Lord is coming. Okay, this is about Jesus' second coming. A cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. You say, what's that about? Once again, that's about the seven-year tribulation. Remember, that's a time of God's judgment being poured out on the earth uh, against sinners. And now watch verse 10. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Just like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. 
It goes on in verse 11, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the proud of the ruthless. I will make people scarcer than pure gold, more rare than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will shake from its place at the wrath of the Lord Almighty in the day of his burning anger. This is a prophecy about the that, that period of time. We're talking about the tribulation into the second coming. Let me take you to the prophet Joel. The prophet Joel prophesied this in Joel chapter 3, verse 12. It says, let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all nations on every side. Do you understand what the valley of Jehoshaphat is? It's, it's the valley of Megiddo in Israel, which is where the Bible says the battle of Armageddon will take place. Prophet Joel talks about it here in the Old Testament. Now watch this. Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, trample the grapes, for the winepress is full, and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. Multitudes, multitudes, in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Now watch what Joel adds. The sun and moon will be darkened and the stars no longer shine. Just like Jesus said it would be on the day he comes back in Matthew chapter 24. And look what it says in verse 16. The Lord will roar from Zion And thunder from Jerusalem, the earth and the heavens will tremble, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. Now, let me take you to the New Testament. Okay, we already looked at what Jesus said. We went to the Old Testament. Now let's go to the New Testament, forward in time here. Revelation chapter 16. We looked at some of this last week, but let me, let me get to it again. It says, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, that's the Antichrist, and its kingdom was what? Plunged into darkness. Just like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. So one of the other judgments that was poured out is there was painful boils that people developed on their body. But watch this. They refused to repent of what they had done. That's tragic. Because one of the things that I've told you about, why the seven-year tribulation? Why, God, why does God put the world through that? Because God is trying to give people one more chance to find salvation in Jesus. Better to suffer a little bit now and find Jesus to spend all eternity with God than spend all of eternity in hell. Amen. And so the tribulation is about God saying, I'm giving you one more chance. But in those chances, it says the world still refuses to repent of their sins. Goes on in verse 12, it says, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. And then we talked about this last week about how demonic of a time this is going to be in the seven-year tribulation. It says, Then I saw three impure spirits. Those are demonic beings that look like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon. That's the devil. Out of the mouth of the beast. That's the Antichrist. And out of the mouth of the false prophet who's attached to the Antichrist. They are demonic spirits that perform signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world, watch this, to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. 
Now look at verse 16. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. It's the valley of Jehoshaphat that was prophesied that we just read in the Old Testament. So I want you to just kind of get the scene for a moment here. At the end of the seven-year tribulation, the heavens are going to go completely pitch black. No sun, no moon, no stars are giving their light right now at this moment. And the armies of the world are gathered at, at, at Armageddon, and those armies are demonically inspired to wipe Israel off the face of the planet once and for all. And you say, well, why, why is the devil intent on doing that? Because God made promises to Israel, and if there's no nation of Israel, God can't fulfill those promises. That's the scene that's before you. But this is not where the movie ends. How many are thankful? Yes. Jesus is now going to come to the rescue. And that leads us to the third aspect of his second coming that he mentions as we go back to Matthew 24. Let's call this the sign in the sky. Jesus says, verse 30, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Now, there's a question we have to ask, and it's this. What is the sign of the Son of Man? And some people have speculated that, well, maybe it's a blazing cross that lights up the sky. Others have said, well, maybe it's the Shekinah glory of God. Uh, And and you remember when the, the shepherds were told by the angels that Jesus was born? And it says, the glory of God shone around them. So some commentators say, well, maybe that's, that's what this is, this sign of the Son of Man. Those are all really great guesses, but it's not a mystery what the sign of the Son of Man is. It's Jesus. He's the sign. He's the final sign. In the original Greek here, Jesus is saying, I am the sign. And, and with this answer, understand, Jesus finally answers the disciples' original question. Okay, you ever ask your parents a question and they just won't get to the, they just won't answer the, you ever ask somebody that question, you're like, but they're not answering the question. They're giving me a bunch of other stuff and answers, but not the one I asked. Remember, what was the original question of the disciples? What will be the sign? Not signs, sign. They want to know singular. What what is the thing that we can look for to know that this is it? This is the moment you're going to set up your earthly kingdom. Well, Jesus says, when you see me coming in the sky, that's the sign. That's the sign. Do you remember what the angels said after Jesus ascended back into heaven the first, uh, after his first coming? Remember Acts chapter 1? Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives teaching his disciples. He's resurrected. They're worshiping him. And all of a sudden, Jesus ascends into the sky, into the clouds, and he's gone. And... They're all looking up going, where'd he go? And when's he coming back? And two angels appeared. You remember this? Acts chapter 1. And what did those angels say? Let me take you there. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? You see that? The same Jesus will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So understand this, Jesus left this world at his first coming 
ascending into the sky, and he will come back again, get this, descending from the sky. Do you remember what Jesus told the religious leaders uh, the night uh, before he was crucified? Remember they had arrested him and put him on trial, the religious leaders did, and they're looking for something to accuse him of, and eventually they accused him of declaring himself to be God. And, and let me show you where, where they say, ah, that's it. And this is what sent him to Pilate to be crucified. Uh, look what Jesus said to the high priest, Mark chapter 14. It says, again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? And what did Jesus say? Okay, that's the Old Testament name for God, isn't it? He's not just saying I am the son of God. He's saying I am God. And Jesus added something to it, right to the high priest, said it right to his face. Watch this. Not now, but you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One one day and coming on the yes. clouds of heaven. Yes. So here, here's what I want you to kind of wrap your mind around. When Jesus came the very first time, his first coming, it was not a, it was not a public event. Okay? It, was a, it was a private event. Uh, he came the first time in a very humble way. Very few people knew about it. Very few people witnessed it. Oh, but when Jesus comes back a second time, he's coming in a glorious way. All will know and all will see. So th this is one of the reasons why gives us, God gives us so many details in the Bible that are plainly stated about Jesus' second coming because it's not going to be a surprise to anybody. It's not meant to be a surprise. It's not meant to be secret. Now, I want to take you to the Old Testament uh, prophet Zechariah. He prophesied what it would be like when Jesus came back again. And, and look at this. You're going to see, once again, how all these details perfectly match. Zechariah verse 14. It says, a day of the Lord is coming. Jerusalem, when your possessions will be plundered and divided up within your very walls. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and the women raped. Half the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. What are we talking about there? The abomination that causes desolation, remember? Jesus talked about the heavy persecution that would come after the Antichrist sets himself up as God in the Jewish temple. And so that's going on. And look at verse 3. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on the day of battle. Now watch this. On that day, we're talking about the day that Jesus comes back. His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. What did the angel say in Acts chapter 1? He's coming back in the same way. When he left the first time, his feet were on the Mount of Olives. And when he comes back again, what's going to happen? He will touch back down on the Mount of Olives. And watch this. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley. And half of the mountain moving north and half of the mountain half moving south. You say, what's that about? It sounds like an earthquake to me. Now, let me, let me just say this. Modern uh, discoveries tell us that there is a fault line that runs north to south on the Mount of Olives right now. And when Jesus puts his feet down there, it's going to split. Now, watch verse 5. 
You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azul. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. You see that? So who are the, who's that? That's us. Remember, we've been raptured. We're coming back with him. On that day, there will be, oh, here, here, look at this. On that day, there will be neither sunlight nor cold. Frosty darkness. You, you say, how, how can that be? I mean, if, this, if the lights go out, it, 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 this thing would just freeze up in, in no time. And look what the scripture says. It will be a unique day. It's going to be no other day like it. A day known only to the Lord with no distinction between day and night. When evening comes, there will be light. You say, what's the light? It's Jesus. There will, the lights will go out and Jesus will appear just like Jesus said in Matthew 24. Watch this. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it east to the Dead Sea and half of it west to the Mediterranean Sea. In summer and in winter, the Lord will be king over the whole earth. And on that day, there will be one Lord and his name and only name. Jesus is the sign in the sky. When you see him, Remember Jesus said last week when we studied uh, the tribulation, Jesus says, there's going to be many that come in my name and they're going to say, here he is or he's over here. He says, don't believe it because as as lightning goes from the east to the west, look up because that's where I'm coming from when I come back again to set up my earthly kingdom. Don't be fooled by anybody. Remember that? Now, back to Matthew 24, we find a fourth aspect of Jesus' second coming. Let's call this the sorrow of the nations. Verse 30, Jesus says, and then all the people of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. Well, why? Why will the world mourn when Jesus comes back? Well, some will mourn because they understood that they rejected the one that, only one that could save them. Others will mourn because they pledged allegiance to the Antichrist. Remember, they took the mark of the beast. And the Revelation says when you do that, there's no hope. They're, they're damned to eternal destination, uh, damnation. So some will mourn because of that. But I want you to think even bigger than that for a moment. Think about the emotions of the world for, for, for a second at this moment. For the very first time in history... Every single person on earth will realize that all the other philosophies of men and all the other religious systems in the world were wrong. People are going to realize the Buddhists were wrong. The Muslims are going to realize they were wrong. The Hindus are going to realize they were wrong. And even the atheists are going to realize They're wrong. In one moment, when Jesus splits that sky, the entire world is going to get the full gravity of what Jesus said about himself in John chapter 14, verse 6, when he said, I am the way, truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Think about what a sobering moment this is for so many people who put their stock about their eternity in lies of the world and lies of false religion. 
many will grieve bitterly because of the error of their beliefs. We're told this in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Look at this. Look, he is coming with the clouds. There it is again, right? And every eye will see him. You see that? Nobody's going to miss him. Listen, not every eye saw him. Very few eyes saw him at his first coming. But when he comes again, every single eye is going to see him. You're not going to be able to miss him. Even those who pierced him. Talking about the Jewish people. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Even the Jewish people on the earth are going to mourn when he comes. You say, why? Because in that moment, they're going to realize the gravity of what their ancestors did to Jesus at his first coming. You say, what did they do to him? They crucified him. They're going to mourn over the fact that generation after generation of Jewish people through the centuries rejected the true Messiah sent from God. I mean, look, look at what the prophet Zechariah said what it would be like for Jewish people at the second coming who all of a sudden it dawns on them that, oh my gosh, that Jesus they talked about, that the, that the church talked about, that those Christians talked about, indeed was the true Messiah. Look at this, Zechariah 12, it says, and I will pour out on the house of David, we're talking about the Jewish people, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and supplication. Otherwise, God is going to be their savior at the end. Jesus is going to be their savior when it's all said and done, amen? Watch this. That generation that's alive at that time, watch this. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. On that day, the weeping in Jerusalem will be great. So when Jesus comes back, it's going to be a day of mourning for the entire world. I mean, even for those who will be saved through the tribulation, it's going to be a day of mourning. I mean, relief, the tribulation is over. Joy that Jesus has put an end to it all, but lots of mourning as well. That leads us to a fifth aspect of the second coming that I want to draw your attention to. Let's call this the strength of the Lord. Remember, Jesus came the first time, humble servant. He's coming back as king of kings in power and glory. He's coming, he's coming back in, in the fullness of who he really is next time. Amen. Look what Jesus said. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with what? Power and great glory. First time he came as a humble servant. This time he's coming as a conquering king. And Revelation 19 describes it for us. So let me, let, me, let me take you there. Revelation 19, verse 11. It says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Who's that? It's Jesus. You say, why is he called Faithful and True? Because he's always faithful and he's always true. He doesn't lie. He always keeps his promises. Now watch this. With justice, he judges and makes war. We're talking about righteous, holy justice right there. His eyes are like blazing fire. You say, what's that mean? Nothing escapes his sight. 
Nobody's going to be able to hide from him. Nobody's going to be able to get away with anything. And then it goes on to say here, and on his head are many crowns. You say, why is that? Because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It says he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. You say, well, what is that name? Well, I don't know, but we'll find out. (laughs) Now watch this, verse 13. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. So the idea is, is there's a corner of his robe that's dipped in blood. You say, what does that mean? This is not his first battle, folks. Do you remember he defeated sin on the cross through his innocent shed blood? And watch this. And his name is the Word of God. Doesn't that remind you of John chapter 1, verse 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word... Right? Now, if you're a Christian and you went in the rapture, remember rapture happens before the tribulation. Here comes your part in the scripture, okay? Okay, watch this. Verse 14, the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And then it says in verse 15, coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Now understand, you and I aren't going to do any fighting. We're just there to, ch- to say, go Jesus. Okay. Now, in riding right, if you never rode a horse, saddle up, man, because you, you, better, you better start and you better get ready. So here's what I want you to understand. I know there's imagery here, but it's not that hard to understand. When it says a sword comes out of his mouth, this is not a literal sword coming out of his mouth. like It's just not... I know that was gross, but I'm just trying to give you a visual. Okay. What it's saying there, Jesus is so powerful. All he has to do is speak the word and it's done. That's all he has to do. Just like he created the universe by what? In the beginning, God said, what? Let there be light and there was light. We're, We're talking about the full glory, the full power of God. All he has to do is speak it and it's done. And look what it says here. He will rule them with an iron scepter. You say, what's that mean? What Jesus says goes. Okay, there's going to be no more appeals court. There's going to be no more Supreme Court. There's going to be no more levels of authorities you have to work through. There's going to be one authority in the world, and what he says goes, and his name is Jesus. And it says this, he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. We're talking about a righteous, holy judgment here. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Yeah. I mean, Jesus has got a tattoo. Look at that. <laughs> Some of you are like, Mike, you're looking at your kids saying, close your ears, you're not getting a tattoo. <laughs> then I saw an angel standing in the sun. So obviously the lights have come back on now. Who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, come gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of the kings, generals, and the mighty of horses and their riders and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. We're talking about all the armies that have gathered, right? And it says this, then I saw the beast talking about the Antichrist and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with it, the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf 
With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Watch this. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. You say, what's that? That's the final place of judgment for the ungodly. We'll talk about that in a, in a few more weeks when we get to the great white throne judgment. Now watch this. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. Otherwise, Jesus just spoke it. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. It's a sobering day. But Jesus is going to come back and put an end to it. And he's going to set up his earthly kingdom. And as he does, there's one more thing about his second coming I want you to see. Let's call this the selection of the saints. Remember what I told you that the church is gone. They were raptured before the tribulation. Church is coming back with Jesus. But they're going to be people getting saved in the tribulation. Remember, we talked about how the gospel would still be preached, the 144,000, the two witnesses, uh, the angels in the sky. So people are still going to be getting saved. Many Jewish people, when they see Jesus who hadn't taken the mark of the beast, they're going to realize, oh my gosh, they're going to be saved. They're going to put their faith in Jesus. And so what's going to happen is, is Jesus is going to send out his angels to go gather all the saved people to come to Jerusalem with him. Look at it. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. Anytime God gathers people anywhere, it's with a trumpet call. Amen? And they will gather his elect, talking about the saved, from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. And you say, well, what are they going to do? Well, think about the scene. Jesus, the armies of heaven, church, and all those saved people that come out of the tribulation are going to be there as Jesus establishes his earthly kingdom in this world. You say, well, what's that going to be like and why, why is that? Come back next week. <laughs> We're going to talk about what that period of time in human history is going to look like. My question to you as we leave this place, as I've done a lot of times in this series, are you ready for the coming of the Lord? See, here's the sobering reality. You're going to see Jesus face to face one day. You're either going to die or Jesus is going to come back again. The question is, are you ready? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever what? believeth in him should not perish but have what do you understand you can't earn your salvation your sin is such an expensive thing that you don't have what it takes to pay for it and God knew that and so God out of his love said I'm going to come pay for their sin for them so he sent his one and only son he shed his innocent blood to pay the price for your sin and here's the thing this salvation is not something you earn it's a gift it's God saying I want to give this to you you just have to receive it the Bible says those who call on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. Are you ready? You, you, can, you can die tomorrow. Jesus can come back tomorrow. Jesus can come back. And, are you ready? That's my question as we close. Because he's coming again. Every head bowed and every eye closed in this place.
If you're here this morning and you have never put your faith in Jesus, I want to lead you in an opportunity to do that. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but I, I do want to pray with you and lead you in a prayer. If you're at home and you've never given your heart to Jesus, you feel the tug of the Holy Spirit that's God calling you to be one of his children forever. I'm going to lead you in a prayer to do that. Christians, if you've already given your heart to the Lord, would you do me the honor of praying with us? Dear Jesus, I come to you today and I thank you that you loved me so much that you would come to this earth and give your life on a cross so that my sins could be forgiven. I confess that I'm a sinner. Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to be my Savior. And I ask you to be my Lord from this day forward. Help me to serve you with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, and all my strength from this day forward. Thank you for saving me. In the name of Jesus, we all said together, amen. Amen. I'm going to ask my prayer partners, would you guys go to come? Don't delay. Come on up. If you gave your heart to the Lord for the very first time this morning, if you're online, please send an email to us. We'd love to encourage you in your faith walk. If you gave your heart to the Lord in this place this morning, come see one of our prayer partners. We'd love to pray over you, encourage you in your faith walk. Also, for anybody, you may have a prayer need that you need someone to pray over you with. There's something going on in your life. We'd love to pray over you also. So if you need prayer, would you go ahead and come at this time? The rest of you, have a great Sunday. Don't forget, fall fun night tonight. We're going to have a great time. Hope to see you there. God bless you.